so Charlie, I know you wanted to talk about the Paul Graham essay, but I want to talk about something else. Do you like that as an opening? Yeah, I do. I mean, I took all these notes and I printed 25 pages and I read them, but yeah. Go, I'm, right. <laughs> go right ahead. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get back to it, but I just got to tell you about something. Okay. Uh, so I know you're not interested in jujitsu, but bear with me. There's a, a guy who just won a major competition who uh, I'm just now obsessed with, uh, a, a phenom. He is, uh, he's in his early 20s, mm -hmm. which is like, look, it seems like no big deal, right? There are lots of world-class athletes in their early 20s, but he also started not that long ago. He, he only started taking jiu-jitsu seriously during COVID. Yeah. And it's like, I personally have been training longer than that and made have almost no progress since COVID. Like you're, basically, you're a, are you offended by his progress or are you? No, no, I'm, I'm yeah. okay. amazed. And I think we have something to learn from it. Okay. Uh, like you talk to anyone who does jujitsu and they're like, yeah, yeah, I haven't really made any progress since COVID. This guy basically started training seriously around COVID hmm. as a kid. He was like, school was off or something, yeah. but I was still allowed to train. And uh, so that's when I, that's when I got good. Anyway, he's like one of the best in his world in his uh, weight class now, which is the most competitive weight class. Yep. Just like outrageous. His name is Joseph Chen. Uh, he, he, he has had coaches and like, you know, he trains with good people now, but unlike almost anyone, he has mostly gotten good by watching DVDs. My like, I thought you were gonna say TikTok clips, but uh, no, it's DVDs. Okay. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's a, uh, it's like the, it's like the more the long form of yeah clips, I guess. Yeah. But it's like, look, the conventional way to get good at jujitsu is you train with a coach in a structured way in a class mm -hmm. that someone else has put together for you, and you like you you give your um you get guidance from the coach, or or like the mentor or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Someone provides structure for you. And from the very beginning, Joseph has just been like, I'm going to take this into my own hands because I don't necessarily have a great coach around. I mean, again, he has had some help from other people, but mostly even when he's going to a class, he's not doing the technique. He's just drilling his own thing. And the structure that he's getting from that is from DVD. It just like seems like an outrageous thing. Like you couldn't possibly do that. And by doing that, like the guys he is beating, Charlie, yeah. should be way better than him. They've been training longer. They've won major competitions before. And um, like, you know, they're the guys. And he's just showing up with his stuff. It's <laughs> like watched on TikTok, et cetera. And, uh, and, and the thing is when you, so, you know, obviously I'm obsessed with him. Are you, you obviously are trying to buy these DVDs, right? I'm sure they're all sold out on Amazon. <laughs> well, it's the same. I've seen some of the DVDs. I've seen yeah. some of the DVDs as well. So it's not like watching the DVD is the magic thing. It's like his approach to training is just far more effective mm -hmm. than, than, than other people who are also trying to be incredibly intentional about their training, yeah. right? It's not like everyone's just like, he's the first person to try. Like everyone's trying, but he's had this outrageous success. And, um, you know, he's, he's done a couple of podcasts and stuff, which is why I'm trying to like figure out what's going on. Um, and it's just, he's, he's so much more intentional about every little interaction is the interesting thing for me. It's like, um, basically no one who goes into train 
you know, rounded to the closest percentage, 0% of people, maybe a couple of percent of people, when they go into train, are intentional about what they're training. Most people are like, I'll show up, see what happens, have some fun, you know, mm. exercise, whatever. And uh, some subset of people are like, I'll show up and my goal today is to hit as many of these types of types of chokes as I can with this kind of resistance and I'll keep count and tomorrow I'll try and do more. So that's like a small subset of people. But he goes in being like, I'm going to try this specific thing and I'm going to tell my training partner what I'm trying to do. And if I get too much resistance or too little resistance, I'm going to adjust their feedback to me mm. so that I get like the best possible training environment to try and figure this thing out. Anyway, I haven't totally cracked the, okay. Cracked the, I, my, what he's doing, but. I, I'm imagining, and it's probably not the case, but I feel like this person is also must be superstitious. Like they have to come in and they practice exactly the same way. They've got their favorite mug, favorite headband. <laughs> um, but maybe that's me just projecting onto this um, superstition on top of this intentionality. It doesn't have to be there, but that's what I, I'd like to think. No, I don't think he has magic underwear or anything. I okay. think it's like all magic DVDs. Like, I just think no. that he's figured out a process. And maybe there's a selection effect, right? It's like if someone succeeds in uh, just ridiculous circumstances, you're like, you, you go and figure out how they did it. And obviously, you know, some people are going to do similarly ridiculous things and uh, not succeed. Yeah. Um, so there, I'm not saying there's no selection effect, but uh, for him at least, like the... The main thing that this, I was telling my wife this story and um, also someone who's bored of hearing about jujitsu. Uh, <laughs> uh, and she's like, okay, so, you know, what are you going to, that's a cool story. Uh, what does that, uh, what does that mean for you? And um, for me personally. You got to buy a DVD player on eBay. You got to buy a DVD player. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, like I watch, I watch instructionals. I like, I feel like I study. Can I, jiu-jitsu. just to jump in. When you're watching something like this, do you have to be in front of a mirror and practicing stuff or are you writing notes? How can you translate what's going to be likely hours away from consumption time to actually putting it into practice? And are you recording yourself as well? Yeah, that's the other thing. Like um, in jujitsu, there are actually there's a big industry of these instructionals. Um, You know, we call them DVDs, but really there's like there are platforms for people providing this kind of video. And a lot of people buy them and watch them. Uh, but obviously you need to be very active in uh, putting that into practice. And to me, like my, my approach to getting better at software or, um, or jujitsu or whatever it is that, uh, that we're talking about is about the feedback loop. And, um, so I feel like some affinity for, for Joseph there. It's like, it's not about the notes that you take. It's not about what you, what you put into your Anki cards, although that is a kind of feedback loop in itself. For, for me, it's like, I'm watching that. And even if the instructor is not providing a drill for that, I'm thinking, what is the drill that I could have for that? Or what is the kind of, even like the game? It's like, what are both sides of this technique where I want to get good at X, but that means my training partner needs to get good at Y, the like the opposite of X, so that I can get good resistance to X as mm-hmm. I'm as I'm training that. And so like, what is the kind of scenario that I can set up with a training partner such that they're trying to do this to me and I'm trying to do that to them. And uh, like, that's how I could get good feedback on this technique. So it is taking notes, but it's more like, um, how can I use this to set an objective? Yep. Um, uh, how can I use this? Like, what would the next objective be? 
or how can I make a sequence of objectives, a sequence of, uh, of, of games? So that's, uh, that's, that's, I, I think what he's doing and I'm not doing it as well as he is, uh, by evidence, by the fact that he yeah. is a world-class athlete in, uh, in a much shorter <laughs> period of time than the rest of us. I also, in my, in my fantastical brain here, I'm also imagining that I don't know where Joseph's from, but it'd be, it'd be cool if he figured he unlocks some secret to intentionality. And then there's this ripple effect that all the people around him have sort of figured it out. And then it sort of like ripples out from there that everyone's become intentional or he's the only one in his gym that seems to have figured this out. Do you, do you get a sense for whether or not there's a community of adherents that are subscribing to this or is yeah. it? Yeah, is it too hard to like actually put into practice? So I don't know that much about Joseph. Um, I I know that he kind of picked it up off other people, yeah, um, as well. Like he didn't totally originate this idea that he's going to like figure out his training environment perfectly. Um, but he like he's a kind of vagabond and will train at lots of different gyms and yeah. stuff. So I'm not sure like how much effect he has on other people. But there's another guy who's interesting in this context as well. Again, jiu-jitsu is fascinating for this. I'm sure there are other sports as well. And like, hopefully people will leave comments and tell me to go and, and uh, study up on this other freak athlete. Yeah. Um, but it's like, um, there's this guy, Mikey Musumeci, who's, um, he is, he's the, he's the best ever American Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete. A weird thing to say, but like, if you look at the traditional Brazilian kind of jiu-jitsu, the where you wear the the pajamas and stuff, mm. um, he he as a non-Brazilian has done better than anybody else in the world. He's won like four world titles or something. Um, he is, I, I like there's speculation online about whether he's autistic or not, um, but he's he's basically like the, a, a caricature of someone who is obsessively nerdy about something. Yeah. How many physical sports would you expect to have someone who's like stereotypically obsessively nerdy about something to win? It's it's like imagine basketball and the guy, the like LeBron James or whatever, he's like just in the books all the time. And that's how he gets good. And he's yeah. like scrawny and stuff. Uh, that's Mikey Musumeci. Like it's not like he's not fit, but he's not winning based on being more athletic and uh, and stronger and like he doesn't i mean he doesn't take drugs like basically absolutely everyone else at that level is on performance enhancing drugs and this guy is hitting the books uh anyway another like outrageous story because he's basically nerded his way is that a verb yeah any, I, any, let's make it a verb, verb? so uh, uh, why, is it, why is it important that you're hitting the books versus just finding a coach is it that books dvds allows you to have this theoretical world-class education the best teachers from everywhere in the world is it that you're getting the amalgamation of all the knowledge like why couldn't you just pair up with aristotle and that's why this is so fascinating for me and like why i feel like we can talk about this on a podcast about computer science education yeah because if you just happen to be uh alexander the great then aristotle is at your disposal yeah everyone other than aristotle plus or minus a handful of others did not have have uh, aristotle yeah. everyone other than alexander the great did not have aristotle and like 
you know, Aristotle also happened to have Plato and Plato happened to have Socrates. And there was like a small group of people in each case. Yeah. If you, if you look at that now and you say like, how do I get access to the absolute best person to teach me this, who is not only world-class, but able to convey how they became world-class in a way that makes sense to me. Uh, and like, how can I convince them to spend their time on me? It's like, it used to be the, the, the case that a lot of the people who are very good at things like science actually were not very employable. And so it, it was, it, you know, you could actually pay them like the, the equivalent of today's 200 grand or something to be the tutor for your kid. And, um, and that would make sense for them. And they would do that for three, four hours a day and then do their science. And like, that was a reasonable proposition. You cannot do that with a world-class anybody uh, anymore. Um, maybe thankfully for them, they're, they're much more employable. So oh, yeah. long story short, our access to the best people is highly limited. Excuse me. And, um, and even if it were not, uh, it's like, even if your access weren't limited, Charlie, like everyone else's access is like, oh, mine's, the mine's limited, but yeah, I, I get your point. Right. Like even if, even if uh, the people who it's interesting, even the billionaires aren't doing this, they're not like hiring world-class uh, scientists or whatever to tutor their kids, or maybe they are in like little pockets, but it's yeah. not, you know, that, that kind of phenomenon has really declined. Um, like they'll send their kids to private school, but the private school is not that much better. Let's be honest than the yeah. other schools in the area. It's more of a kind of status thing. Um but like, even if that could happen for some people, it's not happening for most people. And the crazy thing about Mikey Musumeci, uh and uh, Joseph Chan, they're like, they're just getting stuff that's available online. Mm -hmm. And by applying themselves in a way that's more effective than, than others, they're, they're beating the people who have access to the best coaches in the world. Yeah. For a few years, and then that's how they get access, you know, to some of the, the best coaches in the world. But by then, like, they've got what's important, which is like a mentality towards training, like an approach to their their practice that's way more effective than what the coach can can tell them. So, well, that's yeah, it. we we now this is the story have... of Mikey Musumeci. He got good in his garage. Yeah. You're asking about like what effect um, does he, do do these people have on other people as well? Mikey Musumeci now only trains with hobbyists and he's, he's spoken about this. He does not train with professional athletes. He feels like the, the vibe, the vibe is off. He says, yeah, yeah. like he could train with the best in the world. I mean, he is the best in the world, but he could train with other like best in the world, but instead he's taken people who are not that good, like who were kind of entry level hobbyists only in his garage. And he has brought their level up. To now they're you know they're pretty good for hobbyists, and um, that's his preferred training environment. Well, I'm sure it's a sick garage at this point. It's probably very well equipped. But yeah, so I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the MOOC MOOC Revolution, Khan Academy, all this stuff, all the contents there now. So you have access theoretically to all this world class education, which is great, and that's fantastic that the internet's brought that. But it's it's very clear you know, in your downtime, are you actually consuming this? And are, not even are you consuming it, are you actively consuming it with intention, with consistency? That seems well, to that's be the all this. Yeah. Yeah. The MOOCs solved the uh, information asymmetry problem. And it's exactly the same with Jujutsu DVDs. It's like before the information was locked up and now it's not. Yeah. Okay. 
but the, the the critical thing about education is not necessarily that the information needs to be available to you i mean that is that's a major thing as well you know before the printing press and so on it would have been impossible for basically everybody yeah um but a very good teacher is able to ask you questions probing questions that force your understanding to progress forward and excuse me without access to that you need to come up with your own feedback loops you need to come up with your own way of being confronted with uh, with with problems and progressing from there and um these guys have done that just phenomenally well and something that again this is a it's a sport it's a physical thing you should expect that you need really good training partners rather than hobbyists or whatever you should expect that like you couldn't have this information conveyed like compared to software where you could perfectly convey all the information on the screen yeah it's like the the dvds are, are like you'd think that it's not nearly as good as having someone physically move your body and show you how to do something um yeah that's what it took for them for these guys is that discipline and focus something that you've seen people be able to teach themselves in a in a meaningful way because we we've talked to some richies and uh so many other of your students who've gone on into the depths into the frontiers in the paul graham essay and part of me thinks they had that innately in them they already were doing that they already had that curiosity they already had that desire to peel things back and just explore these things so that's great but have you seen people who've been more uh laissez-faire about their approach to learning be able to flip a switch after hearing an example like this no yeah no. No, that, that's the interesting way that it comes back to um to the Paul Graham essay yeah where I, I find it interesting that he he leads with and emphasizes like the exploratory part of the problem it's like find the find the problem if you want to do world-class work find the problem that um uh you you are suited to and that you get excited about you know I'm sure he wouldn't be happy with that that summary yeah. um but uh I like I I do think there are lots of failure modes like you know there are very few people who get to be world class and one of them is that most of us don't until we're almost too late in many cases um have enough of an opportunity to explore a wide enough uh, array of fields that we find the one that excites us to the extent that jiu-jitsu excited um Joseph Chen. Yeah. Uh, so that's a major thing, and uh, I think that's a good part of the essay to emphasize. And reading that, I'm like, yeah, this, you know, as a as a homeschool parent, like it's a good reminder to get my kids exposed as early as possible to as many different fields as possible, so they don't have my I don't know about your school experience, but during school we had basically no idea of what any profession was other than like our parents. Uh, it was no it was, I knew there were doctors lawyers and I thought if you went into business you owned a McDonald's or something I that's literally all I knew that you could be those three things. yeah they, I heard we, about had, we had lawyers doctors and um and bankers although no one knew what a banker was we assumed that it had something to do with like retail banking yeah the pneumatic tubes which seemed cool. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. the Simpsons education of what banking involves yeah well, I'm um and there was like there was a kind of work experience thing but that was like it was like two weeks and you just got whatever you could like whatever your your um friend's dad or whatever was doing yeah and uh so it wasn't real real exposure so setting up an environment where you get like real exposure to a lot of different professions get to work in that context a little bit from a young age uh I think that that's that's huge um 
but yeah, so there's the the kind of exploration problem. But then in when it comes to software, and this is something that we were talking about with Richie, right? I feel yeah. like a, one of the failure modes is people assume that there are certain aspects of software that could lead to something important, uh, major, valuable, and the reality is that everything could lead to some, something important, major, valuable, mm-hmm. and um, uh, taking the the option, pursuing the path that you're most excited about is probably going to work out. Like the, yeah. the thing that you want to do on the weekend is probably going to work out. If it's in software, it's still going to be lucrative enough. Uh, it's still it's still going to be valuable enough. And uh, pulling that thread, I think. So all that's to say, like, yes, uh we we find ourselves based on whatever our biology our upbringing our our um, environment at that point in time some of us more inclined towards one thing and some towards another but yeah uh, giving yourselves options uh, allowing yourself to pursue the thing that's exciting i think is uh, is something but then the the joseph chen story is like well okay all competitive athletes in this sport are excited about the sport mm-hmm. Right, they all want to do. They all want to be good at this sport. They have found their thing. Then you're not going to be professional if you're like forcing yourself to do it, right? Like anyone who's gotten to pass that threshold of being a pro is um, is excited about it as a kid, and they you know and they missed the time. They did all the things in the Paul Graham essay. Okay, but he's world class in a few years and like beating everybody. How is he doing that? That comes down to what is his training environment. Like, what is his approach to training? So there's something there as well that's just absent, I feel like, from the Paul Graham essay. Like, it's not just a matter of identifying, okay, I'm pretty good at at, at numerical stuff and uh, I've explored this area of mathematics and, like, I get excited about it and I want to work on it. And so I should, like, you know, follow the Paul Graham essay of, uh, you know, how I find a subset of this that's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. No, there's, like a, there's a mechanical aspect as well. Of, like, every single day, how do I get better at this? What does my uh, work look like? And maybe that depends from one field to another, like it differs from one field to another. But yeah, here's what, what I, I here's what I get hung up sometimes on this sort of thing, where I think you're right. There's a mechanical thing, uh, and then I go down. Okay, what tools do I need? What Anki decks do I need? What should I need to wake up and uh, you know gratitude meditate or whatever? So there's like this element of like yes, you're supposed to do some of the things, but you're not supposed to. It's not about the tools even though the tools can be effective, but I just get lost in the tools, I think. Um, and it's not, and I, maybe Paul Graham ignores this because it's not really about the mechanical pieces of what you're supposed to do. And I think there's like a spirit, he talks a lot about curiosity and that spiritual side to this quest, I think is the thing he's trying to tell you it's okay to do. Um, but you're right, there's like some, there's something mechanically different between what Joseph's doing and other people are doing, but maybe that's not, the focus area or maybe it is maybe i'm wrong but i i yeah, always I mean it's like not I, mechanical yeah. like it's not in terms of like you know how is he taking his notes or whatever um it's not mechanical like you know what is his physical training environment like you know what how are the gym mats um but there is like a a day-to-day process that he has that other people don't have so i think i think it's mechanical in that you complete the loop you complete the feedback loop the REPL loop uh, much faster and much tighter for him. And he knows exactly what he's testing and he knows what the next thing to do is. Whereas uh, the probably average person going in has some idea about what they want to get better at, but they're not, they don't really know exactly what they're testing coming in. They're allowing someone else to sort of set that direction for them, expecting their teacher or coach to give them that feedback. 
Um, yeah. And I feel like that's what I, I, I do that in so many things. Uh, and maybe it's because I'm just, I have a lot of interests and I think I derive, we've talked about entertainment value. I think I derive a lot of entertainment value out of these things. And I, I have not been hyper-focused on exploring the frontier. I want to get better, but I, I don't know that, um, yeah, I, I, I read all this. I, I get so upset sometimes reading this or not upset, self-conscious where am I being, there's that term for people who want to be entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, wantrepreneurs. I'm like a wantra do great work type person where it's like, oh, I love reading about doing great work, <laughs> uh, but I'm not actually doing the great work or I'm not sitting down, but it feels so good to be reading about doing great work. So maybe that's enough for me. And I don't think maybe it is, but maybe it is. I don't know. You become the expert, you write the book. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is kind of funny, like to look at this kind of thing and um, talk about people who just dedicate their entire lives to something. Yeah. And you and I, Charlie, I mean, you know, we're not dedicating our entire lives to any one thing. It's just not, yeah. we're not going to do that. Um, the like that ship has sailed. Uh, we've got, we've got families and we've got other interests and we, we're like, we're making the decision to not invest everything in the, in becoming a world-class uh, jiu-jitsu athlete or whatever the case yeah. may be the best possible uh, software engineer. Um, but we, we can take things from these people and say, well, look, I enjoy getting better at things. Even if I pick up a new hobby tomorrow, like it's fun because from day to day it gets better. Like yeah. you, you pick up a camera and you want to do photography, you want to do woodworking, whatever. It's like well, one month, one month after you start, what you're doing is better than when you started. Why not? If you're investing the time in this anyway, whether it's all of your waking hours or two hours a week, why not use that time well and enjoy the process more by getting better more effectively? Everyone who keeps showing up to jujitsu gets better. Like anyone who keeps doing it for 10 years is going to be pretty good. But just, you know, if you take the Joseph Chen approach, it's not that much harder. It's not that much more stressful. You just kind of need the voice in your head one way or another to be like, is this actually an effective method for for improvement yeah. right now, what I'm doing? Or is could there be a better drill? Like, could there could there be a way, better way for practice? I, I have the perfect example of this in my life where I've been playing, playing guitar since seventh grade. I got the Squire Strat Pack, which was 99 bucks. It was like a piece of junk, came with a little piece of junk amp. And I had a guitar teacher who came once a week for uh, like $11 an hour or something, maybe $11 for two hours or something. It was absurdly cheap. This guy was an amazing blues guitarist. And I would just basically just sit there and ask him to tell me about his life on the road and all this stuff. Uh, and he'd tune my guitar and then I'd ask him to teach me a Green Day song. And really, I have not gotten much better from that period. And I've been playing and I brought my guitar to college and I have it everywhere I go. And now I sort of sing like I write these little songs for myself and I have fun with it. Uh, and I like, I look at that thing. I was like, Oh man, I'd love to be in a band. I'd love to be able to solo a little bit better. And still to this day, I'm, I'm like, don't know all my, um, like, I don't even know what key most songs are in. I'm sort of just guessing through this. Whereas I met this buddy recently who's become one of my friends and he wants to jam all the time. And he's only been playing guitar for a year. And he's already talking about like this different voicings of chords and he loves diminished chords and all this stuff. And he's shredding and he has taken this hyper-disciplined approach. Now he actually has a tool that's been really useful. He has this amp 
that is connected to his iPad where he can have these lessons and he can slow down the thing so he can play along with the thing and keep it. In the, so in this case, the tools have really helped him, but he sits down every night for several hours, headphones on and gets better. I pick up the guitar and write a song about the mail or like random things around my house. Now, I love what I'm doing with guitar. I want to get a little bit better. I think exploring this and thinking about people who are doing great work, hopefully that can help me get a little bit better. Because what do I really want to do? I want to put on a concert or something like that and just shred and be able to do that. So I'm hoping I'm hoping 25 pages in that I can extract something for that example. And that could be, I don't know, it's just emblematic of how I feel about a lot of things right now. And it's it's good and bad. I get a lot of feedback. People are like, Charlie, you've got a lot of hobbies. And yet I feel like I'm not good at any single one of them. Uh, so it's, it's, it sort of makes me feel weird. I'm like, thank you. But I'm also like, no, don't tell me that, but also tell me it's, it's, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. In many ways, I, I think the Paul Graham, uh, essay, I, I think probably also people listening to this are going to be like, what is this Paul Graham essay that you're talking about? It's the one that he recently worked, wrote, that's called, uh, how to do great work, July yep. tweet. Um, and also the Hamming, uh, essay, uh, I, I, I feel like the overall theme is like, how to choose between all of the different options, like how to, how to decide what to focus on um, such that you can ignore the other things. And Charlie's like, I like the other things too. Um, and, and me too, right? Like yeah. uh, I, I, I like my work, but I also like learning other things. That's just fun. And uh, I like being a dad and I, I want to be a good dad yeah. and uh, all these other things. Um, but I think that within that, you can say out of my, for you, 10 things, you might as well, all the time that you've budgeted to that, actually get better. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's like, you, you know, there are people who in, let's say you've got 100 hours, like all you get to spend on guitar in your entire life is 100 hours. Yeah. That's just hypothetically. There's a huge degree of variation in those 100 hours. You could get very, very good in 100 hours or you could fool around in 100 hours. And, um, you know, if you if you feel like getting very good is going to be fun, like if you'd like to get there, it turns out that it's not about like more sacrifice or whatever. There actually are just better ways to approach your, your practice. Yeah. Um, so and it's and uh, it could be exponential or just grow at some accelerated rate. Like once you hit some threshold where. You feel like, oh, I've got, I can't do this. And then when you do it, I think things start to flow and then you find the next hard thing, but then you're, you've proven to yourself that you can go, uh, you can go and do that. So I think guitar, uh, I'm going to be focused. I actually told my buddy Zach that I want to play a show in his backyard and we're going to set a date. And that means that we're going to have to practice a little bit more so that th that's another thing that I think is a tool. They don't really talk about this, but I always hear this come up accountability buddies and mm -hmm. I don't know that that really has, I haven't seen accountability buddies really work ends up just being like a fun topic for people who are like pseudo interested in this too. But uh, again, it's fun. It's fun to think that an accountability buddy is going to, going to make it happen when really the accountability buddy isn't going to be with you at night when you're supposed to pick up the guitar and, you know, watch that YouTube video on, on 0 0.25 speed. Yeah. I'm sure there's a little bit of social pressure, but um, yeah. very rarely do you see that like defining people's success it's like i was in a i was in this group scenario situation and other people were pushing me although i mean 
Yeah, there is there is a lot of like value that people get from their their peers, at least in terms of like resetting expectations a little bit higher. They're not going to give you motivation that you're lacking, but maybe you're like, oh wow, this person is getting good quickly. Um, yeah. Why, you know, that means that I could get good quickly. It's a kind of proof of concept. Um, or this pe- this person is healthy. Like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people listening have experienced this, where they like they they move into a share house. Or something where everyone's just healthier and with it with, without thinking about it you start eating better and exercising more or whatever yeah. and similarly you join a team where they're disciplined about performance or something uh you know they're just better software engineers they're more thoughtful they do better code review and their code's more secure and faster and like you you find yourself uh, uh gravitating that way as well so that's definitely a thing but yeah no one's gonna no one's gonna um give you the motivation to practice guitar what I'm saying though is like Joseph Chan, like everyone else, has the motivation. He's just like is able to go into training and say, "Hey, I don't want to train this way because it's not the most important thing. I'm going to train this other way." Just set up a better feedback loop. So, have you um, tried this in your own thing? Have you in your own practice of jujitsu? Have you gone full Joseph Chen? I've I've not, but I'm getting better. So, things that I've started doing recently. Sorry, sorry for jujitsu uh constantly as the example but it's uh you know i, I find it interesting because we can yeah. draw so much um from uh from sports uh and i think like sports coaching has something to, to teach us as teachers yeah. as well but um yeah so i recently got back from a trip where i was training with people who are way better than me and um and that's like you know i i live somewhere where i've got good training partners but it's like that's not i'm not going to get better it's not like moving into a share house where everyone's healthier i'm not going to naturally get better just by training with my, my this is when you had the black eye when i had the black eye <laughs> yeah um so yeah i you know i went it was kind of an intentional um trip to train with these people and uh, i had a big competition afterwards and stuff and through this process uh it was just like a, a reminder that i could be doing a lot better um and uh just like the standard was way higher i was happy that i could like keep up with them a little bit um because some of these guys are training full time uh but also it's like well you know they they are beating me on things that i can i can improve on uh so that was a, a kind of motivating experience and then when i get got back home um i started um like a little bit of a remote coaching relationship with one of the guys there who is a world-class athlete and that because it's remote it requires video and so I started recording my training for the first time and it, it felt a bit weird because like it's a group training environment and you're a guy with a camcorder and you're like put it put it there and like do you mind if I record my training and everyone's joking it's like oh is this to build up your Instagram or whatever it's like no I actually just want to yeah, yeah. be able to review my performance. Okay, I'm a, I was imagining you're doing this in your in your living room, but you're actually recording at the gym. Is what you're saying? No, yeah, I'm going yeah. to the gym, which is supposed okay. to be a good training environment. And like, yeah, I learn stuff whenever I go in there. But for the first time since I've uh, since I've been training jujitsu, I've started recording my my training environment so that I can review it afterwards yeah. and identify gaps in my knowledge and send it to this coach so that he can answer questions. Um, and um yeah it's interesting like I I got to the point where I I I, I'm spending like hours editing footage uh into small enough chunks so that I can really like distill down what are the problems I'm having why do I think I'm having them 
what should I focus on sending it to him? And then he'll give me very, very good feedback. That's like, no, that's not a problem. Here is a technique and he'll record like, you know, here's a five minute response um, to how you do this. And he does like voiceover commentary on the video. And it's just like fantastic feedback, but I've only just, I've only just started doing that. Um, That's cool. And now you're getting into machine learning to automate extracting these things for you. Have you? That's, it's not a, it's not a bad idea. I mean, overall, I think the tooling for this kind of thing could be way better. Yeah. Um, and that would, that would open it up to a lot more people. So just like, you know, like we were saying before, the printing press opened up knowledge to a lot of people. MOOCs opened up knowledge to a lot of people. There's still lots of gaps. Okay. Maybe like we could do remote coaching of things. If, if video editing were easier, Yeah, um, that would open things up. There's still going to be a lot of people who don't, like I said, I had a kind of motivating experience that, that spurred me to want to do this in the first place. I could have been recording my my stuff years ago. Why wasn't I doing that? It's not that it like takes a, a bunch more time or whatever. It's just like no one else was doing that. It didn't occur to me to do that. I didn't, you know, it, it didn't, I didn't feel like doing that, I guess. Do you I wasn't think going in thinking like, what's the thing that I need to work on? Or how can I even identify the mistakes I'm making? I just go and make some mistakes. And maybe organically, like I would try and fix some of them. Yeah, I wasn't like watching slow-mo, like what happened exactly in this situation and editing like a supercut of those situations and sending it to a coach and like getting feedback. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's the thinking organically that it's, you're going to figure out this path or expecting, expecting a group coach to sort of solve that for you. is just, you have to take matters into your own hands. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can get, I mean, you will get better. Like yeah. most software engineers get better year to year, right? Probably. Would you, would you say that? I would hope maybe they get better at navigating uh, the political structure or they don't, but yeah, uh, or, even, or you don't. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, like if you take someone with uh, 10 years experience, they're almost certainly better than someone with six months experience. Yeah. Almost certainly better than themselves with six months experience, but there's definitely diminishing returns. And then if you look at someone who's like compare even themselves between 10 and 15 years, not necessarily the case that they got better in that yeah. time. The yeah. software engineers. They yeah. know more technologies, yeah. but at the same time, the technology, the technologies that they knew previously have just been redundant or whatever. And so they didn't actually like objectively make progress. They're yeah, just they're, kind just, of they're still in the, they're just still in the same stream. It's just new things that are floating alongside them. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So other junk is floating past them. Um, but yeah, in terms of improving their skills, like are they better at debugging now? You know, like, are they better at system design now? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I want to make sure we cover, I had asked one of your students in the chat, in the podcast channel, a question. Okay. I say, so this is from someone called bug thug, which is a, a, a great name. So bug thug asked this question. If I can sort of extract what I think they're asking is it feels like in the, in the startup landscape, there people are saying oh you should like we need to work on the frontier advancing technologies rockets um you know robots ai and things like that whereas uh a lot of it might be easier to potentially just build your SaaS that is like this new hr tool allows you to write your reviews better maybe make your fortunes and then go off and do that i'm bug thug i'm sorry if i got that wrong but i feel like that uh he's basically asking 
how much should that matter in someone who's trying to do great work? Is it okay to be pushing towards like an intermediate goal if your long-term goal is something that's like going to put humanity on Mars? Or should you just go right off and try to do the Mars thing and see what happens? Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of stuff is is um, kind of circumstantial, but I would say like a little bit of financial independence pays off a lot. Yeah. So, but it shouldn't be too hard to get there. Like you shouldn't get to the age of 30, 35 and be like, all right, ready to do the thing that I actually wanted to do after 15 years in the industry. Um, but uh, yeah, at the same time, if you've got like, you're you're you've got no buffer to take risk then that's going to be very hard as well yeah uh but you may be surprised how little buffer you actually need uh and how much risk you can actually take again in software you're probably going to land on your feet there are probably people who are going to help you out probably anything is going to attract some kind of investment from somewhere yeah. um so we're very lucky in that regard that uh, the risks aren't nearly as risky as if you're trying to do this in music or sports or something. So there's that. But yeah, the overall barbell kind of approach of like, let's build a minimal amount of safety buffer and then use the rest uh, as risk. It's like, don't don't try and optimize for things that like, there's this kind of uh, uh, culture in, in software engineering circles that's like, let's, optimize our retirement accounts let's optimize like uh let's spreadsheet everything let's yep, invest yep. all this time and in, like incrementally you know getting the, the the highest total compensation or whatever and if you do this for 10 15 years then you're financially independent i i feel like that's fine that's fine for some but if bug thug's objective is to do great work then the opposite approach is kind of better like don't do the optimization don't do the spreadsheeting Find out what is like the minimal safety buffer that you have. Yep. And maybe that's like living somewhere that other people aren't living or choosing a kind of lifestyle that other people aren't choosing or whatever. Just just realizing that you're going to be fine if you know, you've know you got a certain amount and that's that allows you to take more risk or realizing that you're fine if you're like, if your total comp doesn't grow at the same velocity as people who go to the big companies or something for five years, because you're taking this big moonshot kind of risk, and then you come back and and then you join the big company if it doesn't work out, uh, like, you know, you're, you're on a different trajectory, but that, that's fine. Um, all that's to say, I think a little, a little bit of um, buffer makes yeah. sense, but you, you might be surprised how little buffer you really need. How little, how little again, in software, it's a kind of fortunate yeah, yeah. moment. Well, I, my my closing thought here is this essay is uh, extensive and it almost to me reads like a series of meditations like Marcus Aurelius. And uh, it's great in that regard, but I feel like it's something just like sifting. And I, I kind of wish I could just like waft myself in it in the morning, just like get one of those Cohen's thrown at me. Uh, so it's probably something I'll return to again and again, which is nice. Uh, and I think this sort of essay, like some of Paul's other essays, are the kind of thing where it can just open your eyes to something and say, it's okay. It's okay to go after this. Maybe you've been thinking about this in your heart and uh, you want to do this, but you didn't have language. Maybe you haven't seen Hammings, You, but this, I, I'm really happy to have another great essay in this regard. Again, similar to your essay, if I can say about uh, like being consistent, there are these essays that you can read, which 
I think can help you see through confusion and say, uh, yeah, I do want to go do that. Or I do want to just get better at guitar. So I'm really, I'm just happy to have another thing in here, even if it's um, really long. I think that's kind of fun that every time you read it, it'll probably find something a little bit new that you missed. Yeah, I found that interesting about this one because it didn't like, it didn't speak to me in the way that other essays of his have spoken to me. Which yeah. Maybe it's just like, I've already heard a lot of that or like whatever point I'm at in my life. I, this this is not the message that's like really um, opening my eyes and um, yeah. uh, energizing me. But that reminded me of how much some of his earlier essays totally. did exactly that for me when I was, when I was young. Yeah, um, I mean, the one... How to Do What You Love, I think it was called. Like Those were essays, seminal essays back then. But I think this will be another essay that just opens someone else's eyes, which is really cool. And, yeah, for some, for some people, that's exactly it. And I love that it's basically highlighting to embrace your childhood and just do, sure. do weird shit for your childhood, which has like always been my mantra. So uh, I like... Yeah, I mean, I was going to... When I was... Sorry, it sounds like you got you to run, but let me, let me add a couple of things as well. Yeah. Um, when I was saying before, I like I told Catherine about the Joseph Chen story, and she's like, "So what? Like, what does that what does that mean to you?" A lot of this is also just um, food for thought for me as someone who has kids and uh, wants this wants this kind of um, at least the best possible chance for them, where they're not looking back with with regret. And I, I think a really major part of this essay, Paul Graham's essay, there is to say make the most of your your youth also yeah. make, he, he points out make the most of being old and wise and whatever if that's the case that, that this situation that you're in but yeah expose yourself as much as possible um to opportunities to understand what what uh, different areas you could work in and what might be interesting to you and what you might have a, an aptitude for so that's fantastic and yeah. like you don't need to be a homeschool parent to do that like you just need to remember that your your kid or yourself, you know, if you're still in this period of your life, should have more exposure to things. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I just took away, no one's going to tell you what to do. No one's going to tell you what your calling is. And it's like maybe homeschooling uh, allows for more exploration. But if you're on the, I always imagine it like a, a railroad track and you're just, you're on this track, you're going to this school, then this school, then this job, then this job. And before you know it, you're in your grave. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's, that's the process. That's the teaching of the mean that gets, that gets the economy going. But this, an essay like this says, uh, if you're not careful, you probably, even, if you found this essay, you probably oh, yeah. have been searching. It's almost like matrix, um, matrix stuff. Like it's okay. You can, uh, there are other, there are other ways out there. There are other roads. Yeah, That's the, I think, I think that's the, the, the most important takeaway from this. It's like you, you are responsible for giving yourself an opportunity to find yeah. what you're going to be good at. But then the Joseph Chan thing is, as soon as you know what that is, as soon as that's clear, find the best possible way to become excellent at that one day after another. And uh, that could be as simple as like, who are the world-class people here and how did they get good? Or who are the surprising stories, right? Like who's the scrawny guy who's still the world champion? Yeah. Uh, the yeah. one guy not on drugs is still the world champion. Or the person who got good very quickly or in surprising circumstances. We have so much to learn from those people. Even if it's just like, what is the wiki of the subreddit of the people who are really interested in this? Like, what's their distilled knowledge of what's like an effective way of, of learning this? Uh, or like, who are the people who, um, like, what are the resources or who are the teachers or what are the courses for the people who've gotten 
very good at this in a surprising amount of time or in surprising circumstances that that knowledge is there and there's this yeah. like just meta learning like figuring out you know the learning how to learn thing i don't think you can generically talk about this across all possible domains um and the people who disagree with me and obviously there's a learning how to learn course but like once you decide that your thing is going to be knitting or whatever once you've like done the Paul Graham exploration and found it just like take the moment to try and figure out how do I learn how to learn to get better at knitting how do I learn how to learn to get better at jiu-jitsu can you can you just clarify why you think learning how to learn isn't something that is translatable I think it's too vague when you find the intersection of jujitsu and software engineering and all these other things like the the intersection of all of the things you might want to get good at uh I, I think um there's either like nothing in it or you need to speak very vaguely in mm. order to uh, to get value whereas when you say hey i want to get really good at guitar someone can tell you hey my friend has only been doing this for a year and they have this tool that helped them a lot yeah. might not help you. I don't know, but this is yeah. how what worked for them, or this is their practice technique, or whatever. Um, now you can get specific about that. Now, sure, there are general things like that's what this podcast episode is about about being intentional. But I can't then just say to you, "Hey, Charlie, no matter what it is that you're doing, you want to get good at, at painting." And so, like, what you need to do is be thoughtful about the process of getting good at painting. Like, yeah. what does it have, what sticks from there? It's, yeah. it's going to be more valuable to to um uh am i contradicting myself well, here? are you contradicting I'm yourself with your yeah but and then also your consistency essay so maybe you're saying there isn't uh there isn't a formula for this but there are these habits that are associated with it that could help because to yeah, me I'm, consistency thing is that does feel translatable to any discipline i think i think ultimately i'm saying once you know the discipline then like I am no longer going to be able to give you the tools to uh, get yeah, better yeah. at that discipline, okay. but you should find the people who are, and you should, you should be thoughtful about your own process, take that into your own hands. And ultimately it is possible yeah. like that again, coming back to what I, what I told my wife, when she asked me, it's like, well, when our kids figure out what they want to do, which we'll do our best to expose them to lots of things. We'll say they're 13 and they're like, I'm going to be a marine biologist or whatever. And it's clear that that's what what's going to happen if they have the opportunities then we're going to hit it hard yeah. and it's it and it's going to be like all right how can we be world-class marine biologists by the age of 18 because that's possible you don't need to take 20 years for it there are people who get much better much faster yeah. than others and uh we'll just we'll just do this or like Get, do, do you need to like run immediately no no, no it's cool i mean i kind of i i want to be a marine biologist so i want to hear how you're going to do it well, yeah, I mean, I will figure that out. I've got no okay, idea about okay. marine biology, but that's maybe the track that we're going to be on. Okay. Um, yeah, one of one of the like, uh, there are lots of really bad homeschooling um, experiences that people have. And so whenever I find an example of someone who succeeded in that environment, I'm like, yeah, I got to learn everything about this uh, person. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and one that my wife and I are, are drawn to a lot is this, um, uh, someone called Laura Deming. Have you encountered her? I think I've seen her on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, she, so she is. Um, she's like a, at this point a, a, an investor, and yeah. uh, is like a, the the primary investor in life extension yeah. um, companies. Um, and um, but she basically her story is she was homeschooled and basically got to like a world class understanding of this area of biology as a teenager, and went to work in a in a lab as a teenager, 
Um, I can't remember what age it was like. She would she she would not have finished high school. Like she she'd done, you know, had she been in high school, she was homeschooled. Obviously, like yeah. uh, there's a kind of no speed limits uh, aspect to this. Also, great uh, great motivating article. Speaking of that, I don't know if you I don't think I haven't read that. Yeah, I'll post that in the in the show notes as well. We'll send send it through to you. Another great example of just like opening people's minds up to what is possible. The, the titles that literally like there are no speed limits. Um, but yeah, Laura like basically learns all of high school, uh, everything everything that you would learn in high school by the by twelve or thirteen, like yeah. the, the age that she would have been starting high school, just because no one told her not to, and she was in an environment where that was supported um and then yeah so by the time that she was like uh an age where she was being accepted as I think the story she tells is like she went to this person uh, saying like can I come and mop the floors in your lab and uh and and that lady was like don't be ridiculous I'll just hire you as a regular intern and she was 15 or something wow um and um you know just just went from there i think she went to mit very briefly dropped out realizing that she could you know she's just ready for the world and um it's just kind of prodigious in her field and um that yeah i think there are lots of examples of that and uh, the more you see that the more you're like well you know that's not my field i may not even know my field maybe i need to do the paul graham exploration of all possible fields so that i can find my field but when i do find my field there's no speed limit uh there are there are better and worse ways of learning this there are some people who are way more effective than others and if i can glean you know that process from them then i can i can is there Oz, is there a roadmap to get from zero to high school though is that a known thing in the homeschooling world like, like these are these are the books these are the textbooks you have to use i'm my loose understanding is you have to adhere to some sort of governmental standards by each grade level and probably take this or some sort of test to prove that you're learning stuff. But is this an also unexplored area? Like how do you quickly get oh, your yeah. to high school? This is maybe another story, but yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. Like you could absolutely teach high school level everything to, you know, eight to 10 year olds. Yeah. Um, we learn so little in high schools, honestly. It's just like, there's very, very little taught and uh, very little retained and it's totally it's totally possible if you take the right approach I, I find that it's ridiculous and reading is one of those things where you know I, I don't know if we've spoken about this on the Wait, podcast not on the podcast yeah yeah but like I I'm a I'm an advocate of teaching kids to read as young as possible and like so my, my current status with that is my four-year-old can read more or less whatever she wants like could pre pick up the New York Times and read it not comprehend everything but could like decode the words and my two-year-old is like on on the way and the um the the thing that is astonishing for me is that most people are happy with the school standard of let's take let's let this take four years let's let it be slow and excruciating and take something which like for the kid would have been an exciting skill to acquire yeah and instead push it out to the point where it feels like a chore for them it's like reading like the learning to read becomes a struggle a trauma even yeah. and like this ineffective process stretched way out and it's just like they're just doing it the wrong way they're just doing stupid stuff like there are schools where and I even saw this with a with a tutor who was trying to like in front of me teach a kid 
the kid can't read the word and the tutor is like well can you guess can you look at the picture what what are the like surrounding words what do you think the it starts with a b there's no recognition that we have a freaking alphabet did i say this is a, to a total other thing that we have an alphabet that the words are, are constituted of letters that have sounds that combine together and that if you learn the sounds of the letters isn't it ridiculous that they're yeah. just not teaching phonics and okay english is imperfect and if you see an a there it can be at and up and stuff but we can teach that too and if you take that approach like if you take a systematic phonics based approach for a kid who's ready for it and excited about it it's a very very short process yeah like, i'm gonna i'm gonna read your post on this and do this i think even the word phonics to me in my mind culture has said oh hooked on phonics this is a sort of thing from the 80s or something and it doesn't really work uh, so yes it's the thing that's so obvious that it would work yeah and then like the thing that i the the particular book that i used was so effective it was just like shockingly effective and i i look on the facebook groups and stuff and the commentary about that book is like this is the worst book i've ever seen if i ever wanted to burn a book it's this book uh it's like how is how are we in this situation where the clearly best most effective thing is misunderstood enough that people would rather subject their kids to four or five years of traumatic non-learning than literally three months to take the kid from not reading at all to independently reading yeah it's just it, it's it's just like it's understood it's solved this is a solved problem <laughs> it's not necessarily easy like I I think the reason for that particular book that I found it effective when other people haven't is because a lot comes down to the delivery there and yeah. you, you need to be like reasonably what's the name of the book because I've skimmed in it and it's the thing that struck me too was so much of it is specifically what the parent or teacher is supposed to say and where that's yes. where you're supposed to put your finger and yes. move your finger yeah 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 so that it, the book is called um teach your teach your child to read in 100 easy lessons yeah and it is um it, it's this mode of uh of teaching or the school of thought called um, direct instruction um which you know if you're if you're interested in pedagogy and you're not familiar with this idea you really need to look into it it's basically like let's not beat about the bush let's actually figure out a process for teaching kids what they need to know and show them that let's not like do games and riddles and let's not sing a song about arithmetic let's just teach them how to do arithmetic yeah now the flip side of that from the like more progressive education camp is like well what about the organic motivation and having them like discover arithmetic on their own or whatever and I, I'm actually very um, sympathetic to that as well. But my view is like, well, okay, once they have expressed an interest in this thing, let's not screw around. It's like, yeah. this is the time that they're excited to learn about reading, not six months or 12 months from now. It's like they're bringing a book and, and play reading. They're sitting down next to you and trying to read. Okay, let's do this. Let's let's grab it. Let's grab this motivation by the horn. I think, I think the, the time is direct possible thing. The time is now for me because we have we have a two year old too. She's like two and four months or something. And I I well the, here's my thing. I'm like oh, I need to learn phonics first. I flipped through the first couple of it. I'm like I don't know any of these uh, alleles and words and all this. I don't even know what the phonics terms are. So is there a period where like I should spend the next two weeks learn teaching myself this before I can like go to page one? What if, is the, if I were you, I would like I'd buy the book, read the introduction. I, I 
Yeah. Yeah. Read, read the intro introduction and that covers what you need. Okay. And then maybe for the first couple of um, lessons, just like make sure you read all the instructions ahead of time yeah and follow the instructions and kind of trust the process okay um, for that particular book and I, I think where people fail with that with that book is they don't trust the process they like go off script more and the reason actually direct instruction failed in in kind of the broader marketplace of ideas despite being one of the very few processes that is that is like demonstrably effective is because teachers did not like following a script yeah. they did not yeah. like giving up the idea that they provided this special kind of um uh, magic in the classroom and uh, they shouldn't need a script and the thing is they don't they don't need a script but the script's pretty good uh and their magic comes from inspiring the kids like exciting the kids about this thing not through the day-to-day -day process uh it's 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 again it's like joseph chan has found good drills for him now that those are the best drills for learning those things now if he distills that down and you pick that up in a seminar and you follow that you're gonna do well I mean, it's just like he he did the effort of finding the right way to do this so now i'm thinking direct instruction how that relates to logo and turtle learning where like that seems like the opposite where the total you know, opposite. yeah yes, yeah the total. okay total opposite yeah but I but I'm like I said I'm sympathetic to that as well and I think you need that as well yeah. and the way the reason that logo shines and that environment shines like the constructivist the kind of environment is that you like um foster an interest in something and a curiosity about something again the word curiosity coming back to the Paul or Graham essay um, which leads to the student coming up to you and being like, oh, wow, I saw this exciting thing. If I turn the turtle this time and then this time and then this time, it, it, Made a flower. it rise back to where it started and it's a pentagon or something. Yeah, yeah. You can't not use that opportunity to dive, dive into planar geometry, right? It's like the, the constructivist people are like, no, no, don't like tell them anything about this. They need to rediscover everything. But like the whole thing about human civilization, wow, we, we're really gotten off track here. Uh, the whole thing yeah, about human civilization is that we don't need to learn everything from scratch every single time like it's a tragedy that so much knowledge is lost from one generation to another we're still so bad at conveying the so you're saying you're, you're you don't want to be a first principles thinker because I feel like that's uh everyone wants to be a first principles I, like I want to be second principles first I want to first we're figured out no uh, look I I want to encourage first principles thinking I want kids to discover things on their own yeah I, but I want to expedite the journey from I'm I've discovered this thing I'm excited about it to here's our collective understanding of this thing which I still encourage you to criticize and interrogate yeah but this is what we what we know like this is what we that, this is what the previous generation came up with this is the best textbook for that here's the best process of teaching that skill you want to read here's how you know here's how we know best how to read um but look I mean it, it's a kind of sophisticated approach like I, I really feel like the traditional battle lines of the progressive folk in education and the more like classical or traditional folk in education it's just the wrong line it's not about free play versus you know drilling stuff it's like where do you where does the motivation come from and then what do you do with it it's like yeah. it, it cuts across both of those both of those things
Did uh, direct instruction translate well to computer-based learning? Because I feel like computer-based learning gets so much criticism because it is so, uh, even if it's adaptive, it feels rote and mechanical. Whereas I don't, I feel like it's not lauded in the same way that you're saying direct instruction can be truly effective. Uh, whereas uh, it, sort of the, just the ethos that I'm getting from ed tech for the last 10 years could have taken this direct instruction approach and it really didn't yield those good results. And you're like, oh, the teachers wanted to go off script. Well, the computer's not gonna go off script. Why did that not work out? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it, I mean, this is like, if we can find people from Khan Academy um, on the sales side, mm. it'd be very interesting to talk about this because I've had some off the record conversations about what happened with them going into schools where they've got something that's pretty good yeah. And they were trying to get it into schools in a big way and they got knocked back hard. And we don't we don't think about this as one of the failure modes of online education, but it's like, well, okay, it's imperfect, right? Like a lot of it is just old videos that are delivered, but there are interactive elements. And if this is what you've got, like it's a lot better than the standard textbooks that the that the school districts are buying. So why are teachers not using it? why a teacher's not using it mm. that's an interesting question and i think it, i think it's similar to why direct instruction was rejected by teachers um so getting well, we into get, mode where we, we can see get the ben teacher eater. like let's get ben eater on the podcast for uh for supper yeah i mean ben eater ben eater would be good i mean a lot of the the engineering product side of khan academy would be good but the fascinating aspect of sales. it is the sales side yeah, yeah. all right Oz, i i uh, i'm gonna go read this as I as I put myself to sleep but uh this was this was good thank you fun to catch up all right bye see you